Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is repairing the church facility. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. First, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we kind of struggled to come up with a name for this because we're not talking about the people of the church. We're talking the actual building itself, correct? Mm-hmm. The actual building facility. Yep. And this topic came up at the congregational meeting, which I missed because I was camping on the coast. So get me up to speed. What do you want to get at here? What are we talking about? All right. So this is one of these podcasts that although people who are not members of Central Lutheran Church might listen to and find something interesting to learn from may or may not be terribly interesting for you because it is very specifically about our congregational facility. Now, what could be interesting is learning about how we are going to go about making these decisions as a community, wrestling with these topics, having the kind of theological, ethical conversations and finding our way forward with this big question, because more and more and more communities are going to be having these big questions over the next 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. If they haven't had them already. If they haven't had them already. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially urban parishes, I think, when it comes to these big, giant buildings that we have. Mm -hmm. So Central Lutheran, we have a large historic building. It is a three-story facility that is about a quarter of a city block large, and we insure it for $9.4 million. Wow. That's the property value of the building and the land and all the stuff that's inside of it. Mm -hmm. So we insure it for $9.4 million. It was built in 1950. At the time, that cost $230,000 to build. Wow. Including big name architect, that seems not a lot of money. Well, today I did run the numbers to say what was the equivalent because of inflation. Sure. And so the quick Google search brought back 2.8 million. Even that seems on the low side to me. Yeah. Well, part of it is that Central is part of what put Pietro Belusky's name on the map. Sure, sure, sure. So we are part of the reason why Pietro became the Belusky that is now known. Mm -hmm. And so we got him before he was known. We're part (laughs) of why he is known, Mm -hmm. but part of why people wanted to work with him is what he did in creating this building. Okay. This particular building, part of what is historic about it is that it was built with a lot of natural materials, a lot Mm -hmm. of wood and natural materials, which of course over time ages and especially in a very damp environment like the Pacific Northwest. Exactly. And is um, very open to being impacted by the environment. We have, over the last almost decade, worked very hard. There's a, a restoration team that has done an incredible amount of restoration work on our facility. And you can go to our website and take a look at that work and see all of the things that have been done. From something as what seems as simple as restoring the copper lights on the exterior of the building, which Mm -hmm. is not actually simple, Mm -hmm. to taking a look at 
redoing some of the wood and sanding it down and polishing it and oiling it and staining it to painting walls and redoing floors and all kinds of things, redoing every single roof on this structure pretty much in the time that I've been there, painting the exteriors over and over, repairing walls on the exterior that have had dry rot in them. Just constant maintenance over this last decade. And all of it, including down to replacing the furnace, Mm -hmm. which was a big, big, big piece that we took on over these last two years of the pandemic. Because we had the original furnace from 1950, which was a giant cast iron dragon beast. Lovingly nicknamed Puff, correct? Lovingly nicknamed Puff by me. Huge beast of a furnace down in the basement that had to be cut apart to be removed because it was likely lowered in by crane and then Mm -hmm. the building was built around it Mm -hmm. originally. Anybody who's ever read Mike Mulligan and his steam engine, Marianne, I get shades of that, that whatever it was that dug the hole for this thing, that is now what became the engine that drove the heat. (laughs) It was a big old furnace. And that furnace has been replaced and it works great. We have an amazing new furnace that does incredible for heating our building now. Well, and you converted it from an oil tank too, did you not? One of the first things we did in my first three or four years serving here was to convert from oil to natural gas. And so we changed the fuel source that we heat the water with. So there's just been a tremendous amount of work that has gone into this facility just to maintain it, just to kind of keep it functional and available and all the way down to having to replace the big battery in the basement. We have a giant battery in the basement that keeps the emergency lighting running. Oh, sure. So that if the power goes out, we have emergency lights that stay on in the main hallways so that people can evacuate. And so all of these things just cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, in the last year and a half, as we have continued to do our due diligence and our work, Mm -hmm. we were repairing something else, taking a look at one of the projects that we knew we needed to get an update on and do a bid on. I think we were working on repairing the leak that we have had for 50 years in the front of the chancel over by the organ that has been coming down over near the piano in the eternal candle. There's been a leak there since 1950. Okay. And we think we finally have fixed it. Minor miracle in that we think we have finally fixed this. And in the process of finally getting this fixed during the pandemic, while they were up in the crane looking at the details, Mm -hmm. they looked down at the stained glass wall and saw some very concerning signs. And so we got a grant from the Central Lutheran Foundation to have specialists come out and do some inspections on the stained glass wall exterior and interior to check it to make certain that it was still structurally sound and safe. And what has been discovered is that while it is still structurally sound and safe for people to be able to be present within the building, and Uh those things are fine at this time, 
and that there is no concern with the beams that run across and hold up the ceiling of the sanctuary, that the stained glass walls and the wood that is holding the puzzle of the stained glass into the wall Mm -hmm. is dry rotting. Oh, no. And there is a lot of structural damage, a lot of dry rot that is happening. And we're uncertain how far down and how deep it is at this time, but we know that the work is going to have to be done. Sure. And the initial bids on that work have come back. I'm already like preparing myself for the number. Yeah. The initial bids have come back on that work around $500,000 to $750,000. Wow. To repair that wall because it's the entire west wall of the stained glass. Yeah, it is. So that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) That is a lot. That's a lot of money. And anybody who's ever watched anything along the lines of this old house knows that you still need the contingency because as soon as you get in there, who knows what else Mm -hmm. has possibly gone wrong over a couple of decades. Exactly. And so we know that this is a problem. We also know that part of the architectural amazing feature that is part of what Central is known for Mm -hmm. is that in our sanctuary, we have the area where the congregation sits, and then we have this chancel that opens up to this very, very bright kind of eggshell blue area where the congregation sits is all wood Mm -hmm. and is kind of dark and has that beautiful stained glass wall that is the primary feature of that area. Mm -hmm. So that is the area that has the dry rot and will need to be rebuilt. And then the chancel area is plaster and brick exterior. It does have steel and reinforcements on the interior. So we're reinforced. We're not just brick. Nice. So we're okay there. But in order for the light to do what it does there, and part of what makes this a unique architectural feature, is that there is a kind of proscenium arch almost That is like a, if you're a theater person, you know what a proscenium arch Mm -hmm. is. If you're not a theater person, think of it like a great big, how do you say that shape? What would you say that shape is? It's like an archway, like a door, and it goes out wider than the sanctuary, than than the kind of Mm -hmm. area where people sit, and it goes up taller And so that whole area that is wider than where people sit and taller than where people sit is all full of windows. And what that does is it faces in a direction that the light pours in during the morning. Mm -hmm. And it fills that entire front of the room with just this cascade of light and makes the entire area up at the chancel just incredibly bright on a Sunday morning. And it's a stunning feature. However... Again, I'm (laughs) stealing myself for what you're going to say next. (laughs) What has happened over the years is that on the side that's over by where I stand when I preach, Uh that is the side closest to the parking lot, Uh the side that couldn't be as seen from like the exterior of the building because it's closer to the parish wing and the parking lot. They didn't use the same size, the same thickness of the boards when they originally built it. They didn't use as thick of a board. Okay. 
when they originally built that window, they probably saved a couple dollars. But the vertical boards that are holding those windows in that are about two or three stories tall, because again, this is the chancel area, so Mm -hmm. it's very tall, are down to about an inch and a half thick. Yikes. They are very structurally questionable. Mm -hmm. We have known about this and have been working towards getting this repaired for about six years. Okay. The cost of it just keeps going up. Yes, it does. And particularly because of lumber costs, particularly because of labor costs, particularly glass is so hard. We had a piece of glass get shattered in our fellowship hall by accident. And even just fixing one piece of textured glass in the fellowship hall is going to be about $600. Wow. So if you can imagine that, imagine what it's going to cost to fix multiple story tall glass in the sanctuary. Wow. So we have that project. And of course, our elevator, (laughs) which I got stuck in. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. The elevator I got stuck in on Good Friday Mm. is becoming obsolete. It is 20 years old, and they are stopping creating the mechanical parts for it, the electrical parts for it. Wow. And so we have about two years before ThyssenKrupp will no longer have the electrical, the motherboard, the wires, those kinds of pieces, will no longer have them available to upgrade and fix our elevator anymore. Wow. Okay. I'm going to stop bad-mouthing the freight elevator that I use at the warehouse that I work at because that (laughs) thing has got to be at least 100 years old. (laughs) So our elevator needs to either be upgraded Mm -hmm. and have a major rehaul or be completely replaced. Wow. And those are not cheap for anybody who has any curiosity about that. No, they are not. And the elevator is used a lot in our facility. Yeah, it is. It's used by parents with young children and their strollers. It's used by individuals with ADA accessibility. It's used by feeding programs that are taking large quantities of food up and down the different floors in order for storage. You know, it's just used a lot. And so we need our elevator. So these are three major projects. We also have, oh no, (laughs) the large metal doors out front. Oh yes, that had the uh, graffiti put on them. That had the graffiti put on them. And those are thousands of dollars to repair. And this is all just repair work. This is before we would even talk about if there's anything we would want to dream about upgrading or making better. So all of these things together create a need for approximately $1.5 million worth of repairs. Wow. That's a, that's a stunning number. Yeah. Okay. So over the years, at least in the Catholic church and the other churches I've sort of come across, they talk about some sort of a building drive or a maintenance fund or a whatever you want to call it. Is that what we're talking about moving towards here? We're talking actually a bigger conversation. Okay. 
partially, I did forget one more. Oh, no. I forgot about the chancel roof. Oh, no. Do you remember that big ice storm that we had? Oh, yeah. I think it was last year during the pandemic when, like, the trees were freezing Mm -hmm. and spearing the ground. Well, one of the trees speared the chancel roof. And so we got the tree out of the roof and sealed the roof up there. Mm -hmm. But some moisture got into the roof. Oh, no. So we have to get in there, get that moisture out and reseal and fix that before there's any long lasting permanent damage Wow! to the chancel roof. So that's the other one that I forgot about in this list. So instead of just looking at an ongoing maintenance fund, and and we have that, Mm -hmm. and we have a plan, we have a scope of work, and we have a multi-year phased plan laid out. We also want to take a chance to say, wait a minute, let's ask a bigger question. Because when something like this comes up, it's not only the opportunity to wonder and ponder, like, how are we going to do this? But should we do this? Uh huh. And why would we do this? Uh huh. And perhaps most importantly, as a person of faith, who does our neighbor need us to be? Sure. Is this where you want to put your resources? And does our neighbor need us to do this? If we choose as a community to make this commitment to a $1.5 million capital campaign or a $2 million or a $3 million capital campaign, if we decide, yep, we're all in on this and we're even going to make some improvements, we're not just going to make repairs, we're going to make improvements and we're going to do all kinds of things and we're going to listen to our neighborhood and listen to our neighbors and see what it is that we need to do to make this facility not just for us but for our whole neighborhood and we go down that path it cannot just be for our worshiping community it must be for our whole neighborhood it must be for our whole community ethically theologically It cannot be only for us. And so this is where we are right now as a community. And this is where I think it becomes an interesting question for all of us in Christendom to kind of be wondering about. We have these facilities. We have these resources. We have these capacities and abilities and gifts. And we have these resources And we are living in this time, in 2022, in the United States of America. We have these gifts and skills and resources. What are we going to do with them? And how are we going to utilize them? We can choose for the next eight to 10 years to spend our time and our energy and a large amount of money making a very pretty house for God for us. We can do that. Mm -hmm. Is that ethical? Is that theologically sound? And do we as a community believe that that is the most theologically accurate and most faithful response to the gifts that we have been given? And that is, I think, the more important question that we've been given. 
Because if we are not asking the question, well, who does our neighbor need us to be? Who is Jesus calling us to be in this question, in this moment? How are we going to serve our neighbor with this question? Then I don't think that we're living our faith. We're just maintaining what has been. And I'm called to help us live our faith. I'm not called to help us maintain a building. So what do the next steps look like then? Because you also have some big choices to be made. And as we've discovered in the last couple of podcasts we've done, change comes rather slowly to the church in general. Yeah. And some of these things are going to need to be addressed sooner rather than later. Absolutely. So some of these pieces can be addressed uh, with some band-aids. Okay. There are some opportunities to do a little bit of band-aid patchwork where we could do a little bit here and a little bit there to assuage some further damage to keep it from getting too much worse too quickly. And that could buy us a year. It could buy us a year and a half. Well, okay. That's the building itself. What about Mm -hmm. these questions? What's the next step in answering that all-important all-encompassing, who are we to those around us kind of question. And who does our neighbor need us to be? Mm -hmm. Isn't that a great question? It is. How do you go about answering it, though? (laughs) I think that, first of all, there is a pathway to that. There absolutely is. And it begins with another podcast where we invite supreme, brilliant community organizer, Deacon Bonnie, to join us. I love it because all throughout the end of this conversation, all I can hear is Deacon Bonnie's voice in my head. (laughs) Don't tell them what they need. Ask them what they want. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that will make her so happy to hear. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I guess this means that's the end of this particular podcast and everybody should stay tuned for next time. Indeed. And... We know that Deacon Bonnie is taking some vacation. So here's what I'm going to say. Part of one of the things that we do in particularly white North American culture, Mm -hmm. white United States culture, is we expect answers to come right away. Yes, we want it now, now, now. We see a problem, we articulate a problem, and we expect the answer tomorrow. This is a big, potentially community-changing situation. We are not going to have an answer tomorrow. This is going to lead us into a listening season. Mm -hmm. This is going to lead us into new relationships. This is going to lead us into new conversations, potentially into new ways of being. I hope into new ways of being. It will take time. I'm not talking like we're going to chill for the next couple of years. No, we have a lot of hard work ahead of us over the next few years. Mm -hmm. But right now, if all that we do for the next week is sit and say, oh my goodness, this is a really big question. We really need the Holy Spirit to show up with us. Then that's what we do. We sit and recognize that we have an amazing opportunity for us as a community. And we invite the Holy Spirit to show up with us. And that's the beginning of this journey. For all of us to understand what is before us, to articulate the excitement at the potentials ahead, 
and to invite the Holy Spirit along in the journey and to open our own hearts to be true participants in the journey, because that will set us up for an incredible journey ahead. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about repairing this facility. I look forward to sitting down with you on a topic that's probably related sometime in the future. (laughs) As do I. And if you have questions or if you are on a similar journey with your community, we would love to hear from you and be able to hold you in prayer alongside of our own journey. Until we are back in your ears again, you can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. And remember, God loves you no matter what.